Uh, Gracious God, we pray that you would speak to us today, that you would encourage us and challenge us, that you would call us and invite us, that you would help us to follow you better today and every day. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Uh, The story is told of a a national magazine assigned a photographer to take pictures of a huge forest fire. Uh, They told him a small plane would be waiting at the airport to fly him over the fire so that he could take the pictures of the fire so that they could put it in the magazine. The photographer arrived at the airstrip just an hour before sundown. Sure enough, a small Cessna airplane was on the runway waiting. So he jumps in with his equipment and shouts, let's go. The pilot, a tense looking man, turned the plane into the wind and soon they were in the air flying a little erratically. Fly over the north side of the fire, said the photographer, and then make several low level passes over it. Why? asked the nervous pilot. Because I'm going to take pictures, yelled the photographer. I'm a photographer, and photographers take pictures. The pilot replied, wait, you're not the instructor? (laughs) Alas, of course, sometimes that can be our problem as well. How do we know who to trust? How do we know what to do? How do we know where we're going? Uh, Too often in life, we don't realize that we don't have good answers to those questions until something has gone wrong. And yet it's precisely in those moments that we need to know precisely where we're going and what we're doing and who we trust. Because, of course, sometimes it's not until the plane is flying over the fire that we realize it's us that don't know how to fly. So it begs the question for you in your life, where, where are you going? What are you pursuing? Who are you trusting? You see, the reality is that we're either actively going toward something or we tend to passively be drifting away, which, which is why it's so important that we are constantly monitoring our life's direction. More to the point, as Christians, the way we answer those questions has a lot to do with how we are following after Jesus. It's discipleship, which brings us back to our series and Jesus' parables. All summer long, we've been working our way through the parables of Jesus because this is one of the primary ways that Jesus taught those first disciples how to be disciples, how to follow after Him. Uh, And more than that, it was also how to live faithfully in the kingdom of God, not just later, but now. How do we live this out on a Tuesday? How do we live this out at work? How do we live this out when we're running errands? And, And as we remember, parables are short little everyday stories that a teacher just sort of drops out there in the middle of a conversation. Not necessarily an illustration, but just a little story, and you as a disciple, as a listener, you can either pick it up and kind of engage with it, or you can just let it lie. The problem is, because of their simplicity and their ordinariness, they're easy to ignore and overlook. Or, since we've heard some of these stories too many times, they've lost their edge. We're too familiar with them. But remember, Jesus is trying to use these as tools to try and change us. 
And so it's important that we not just hear them, but we sit with them and we live in them, and then we respond to them, which means we have some work to do. And so if you would, I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Uh, While you're turning there, I'll let you know that this one is also a semi-familiar parable, but a challenging one as well. This one will talk about money and savings and status and security and the future and fear. But it's also going to seem to have some contradictions in it, so we're going to have to be really careful with this one. Uh, At the beginning of the chapter, at the beginning of chapter 12, we're going to start reading in 13 in a minute, but at the beginning of chapter 12, uh, a group of thousands show up to hear Jesus teach. And if you pay attention, anytime there's a really big group, Jesus doesn't lighten His message. He always steps it up a notch. It always gets harder when there's a lot of people there. And so we're going to see that happen a little bit here as well. So Luke chapter 12 verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, "'Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me.' Jesus replied, "'Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you?' Then he said to them, "'Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions.'" And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. Who are you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will He clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. 
It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. Amen. The power of this parable and this passage lies in these little paradoxes. There are some seeming contradictions in what we just read, and yet as we work to resolve them, we may learn a little bit more about what Jesus wants us to know and how Jesus calls us to follow. As you think about that passage, even initially, think through some of those tensions. Because this passage seems to say, don't worry about the future, and you might die tonight, which seems like something you should worry about. Don't save for tomorrow, but then the whole rest of the passage talks about being ready for tomorrow. Seek His kingdom and everything will be given you, but when our parable guy gets everything, he ends up losing everything. God will give you everything you need, like the flowers and the sparrows and our parable guy, but if you keep it, use it, save it, or store it, you might get in trouble. Do you see the problems here? The passage seems to be saying one thing, and then a moment later it seems to be saying almost the opposite. And really, it gets back to those questions that we started with. So then who are we supposed to trust? What are we supposed to be doing? Where are we supposed to stay focused? And Jesus doesn't just spell it out. He calls us to follow. And that's probably good because anytime in my life someone gives me a line to not cross, a boundary, I I find myself gravitating toward that bound, not necessarily crossing it, but living near it. If I didn't know that line was there, I probably would be somewhere else, but because there's a line there, well, I mean, you, there, if there's a bar to clear, my goal is not to jump as high as I can. My goal is simply to get over the bar with no margin, no extra, nothing left over. Which is why it's so much better that Jesus gives us a way to follow instead of just some boundaries, instead of just some lines, instead of some bare minimums, so that we don't just settle for enough. And so He makes this a little confusing so that we have to actually pay attention, so we actually have to work at this a little bit, so that we actually have to learn how to follow. And so, with that as the challenge before us, let's see if we can't unravel some of these knots and try and figure out what we're talking about today. I think Jesus is trying to to get us to ask the question, are we trusting ourselves or are we trusting God? Are, Are we pursuing worldly worries or are we seeking God's kingdom? Are we distractedly doing our own things Or are we faithfully attending to God? 
And so I want us to go back through this passage and these kind of the parable, and then there's a teaching section, and then kind of another quasi-parable as we kind of think through those ideas. Are we trusting ourselves or God? Are we pursuing worldly worries or a kingdom? Are we doing our own things or attending to God? And let's see if we can't figure out how to follow better. And so we start at the beginning of our passage and our parable as we think about who we're putting our trust into, ourselves or God. Jesus is teaching to thousands, and all of a sudden a voice interrupts him and wants him to render judgment upon a brother. Doesn't he need to share more of his inheritance with me? The nature of the question right off the bat implies there is a right and wrong, but I'm not getting as much as I think I should. They're not taking it to a judge, they're taking it to Jesus, and Jesus is loving, so therefore the answer should be, yes, he should share more of it with you. That's not necessarily the law, that's just, I'd like more which is why then Jesus warns about the dangers of greed, pointing out that life isn't found in having more land or more wealth or more stuff. And then he sort of just drops this parable into the conversation. There's a rich man, and in the Gospel of Luke, that's normally a bad sign. Uh, This man's ground produces a, a bumper crop, and it's interesting how Jesus says this. The man doesn't do anything. It just happens to be a good year, and the land itself has a good yield. But this creates then a problem because he doesn't have a place to put it all. And so he decides, logically, that he'll need bigger barns. And I think at this point, he still may be doing okay. The word surplus is a little bit of a flag, but it also may simply be the reality. I'm not quite sure he's crossed the line just yet. Now, that said, one commentator pointed out that uh, uh, it it is a little strange to tear down your barns to build bigger ones. You could just set up some temporary uh, uh, housing to store the extra until you sell it, except then you'd lose some of your land that you could put another crop on. And so maybe this guy's doing it, storing up some surplus because... Prices are obviously, if it was a bumper crop in my area, it's probably everyone's doing well, so there's probably a lot of surplus. So if I can store this for another year or two, I can get a much better price. So he may be doing something like that, but it's not entirely clear. Either way, he does seem to be withholding something from the market, from the community that he's in. Maybe the biggest red flag in all of this, though, and this is when he starts talking to himself, is the way that he talks. My crops, my barn, my surplus, my self. It's just this echo of me, 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 me. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And the question that we're asking in this part of the parable is simply, who is he putting his trust into? And the answer is clearly himself. I have more than enough. I will be comfortable. I will be secure. I will have life. It's also pretty clear who's missing in this little equation. He seems pretty oblivious toward others and pretty unaware of God. He mistakenly thinks that he has earned and deserves all of his wealth and all of his stuff and all of his life, which is why the irony of the parable then is that he's actually powerless to even last the night. The parable reminds us that too often we simply put our trust in ourselves and then wonder why things don't turn out the way we want it. 
course, what if we could turn that around? What if we could put more and more trust in God? What if we could see our blessings as gifts from God? What if we could understand that our lives are God's? You see, the trick of discipleship is in the following. And in order to follow, you have to know who you're following, and you have to learn to trust them. I wonder how this would change how we live. I wonder if we could find more of our identity in not who we are or think we should be, but who He is. I wonder if we could trust Him more, if that would set us free from some of our selfishness and self-centeredness. But then we find Jesus transitioning. From sort of a who do we trust to where are we going? What are we seeking? And we see this as Jesus transitions from the parable to this little teaching on worry. It starts as one of Jesus' stranger teachings in that He seems to be saying that we don't have to worry, and yet He's just told us that this other guy's going to die tonight. Of course, many of us could probably be reminded that maybe we are worried about the wrong things as well. More to the point, maybe we are guided too much by our fears. I don't do this because I'm worried what others will think. I don't do that because I'm worried what other people might say. I'm worried about these people. I'm worried about that situation. I'm worried about the future. I'm worried about our community. I'm worried about tomorrow. And we tend to just live worried. And in some ways, that makes sense. I mean, it's hard to become more aware of our world and not be afraid. It's hard to engage with the news and not be afraid. It's hard to see more dangers and differences and divisions and not be afraid. But how often do these worldly worries dictate our direction? You see, we can become overly concerned with our worries such that we start running after the wrong things or in the wrong directions. We start majoring in the minors. We stress over the things that are short-term and temporary. And yet we are called to be seeking the kingdom, receiving the kingdom, pursuing the kingdom, not just chasing after worries or trying to avoid them. Because the reality is that if we're not careful, our concerns start to control us. Sometimes I think we forget the power that fear has in our lives. I read an interesting illustration this past week. uh, An aerosol propellant called something chemical, trictorlethonethane, has been used in spray can house cleaners for a long time. Uh, Toxic, it's a toxic product when it's used improperly. Uh, John Broder wrote in the New York Times probably a long time ago, in the early 1980s, teenagers discovered they could get high by spraying the cleaner into a plastic bag and then breathing their propellant fumes. The label on the can clearly warned of death or serious injury if the product was inhaled, uh, said Victor E. Schwartz, a Washington lawyer. But some young people ignored it, leading to at least one death. The company wanted to make the warning larger, but Mr. Schwartz argued against it, saying that teenagers would then assume that there was more propellant in the product. What do kids worry about more than death or injury? Mr. Schwartz asked his clients. How they look, of course. 
So we wrote the warning to say that sniffing this stuff could cause hair loss and facial disfigurement, which it doesn't. But the target audience was scared enough that there hasn't been a liability claim since. Because the reality is fear has power. It controls us. In this case, for the good, but way too often for the bad. And instead, Jesus seems to be asking us not to follow after fear or run away from fear, but to follow Him. Instead of chasing after or avoiding the things that we worry about, what if instead we could chase after Him, after, after His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven? What if that became our chief concern instead of all of the worldly worries? And that's not to say that we don't worry about the big stuff, like health and loved ones in the future, and that's not to say that we should just be completely oblivious to all the, the things in the world and what others think. But it is to say that we are to be more concerned with seeking God's kingdom first, which I think then keeps everything else in its proper perspective. The, the trick of discipleship is following, and in order to follow, you have to know where you're going. And in this case, it's seeking the kingdom come. Not running toward fears, not running away from fears, but, but so focused on the kingdom that everything else gets put back in its place. Which brings us to the final part, the what. What should we then do? How then should we live? As our parable ends, Jesus tells this, this mini mashup of several different parables. If you've been with us all summer, you, you'll recognize in these little tiny sentences, wait, that was like that long parable over there, and that was another parable, and I think I've heard that parable before. They were all longer. Uh, keep your lamps burning. Be ready for your master when he returns from the wedding banquet. He'll stand at the door and knock. It'll be good if you open the door then. An owner knows when the thief is coming. He won't let his house be robbed. It is a, an amazing mishmash of images. You wonder if at this moment Luke just, as he's writing it down, is like, wait, I don't, okay, and then there's a wedding, and, a, and he just kind of puts it all in right there at the end, or that's just how Jesus told it. It's an amazing just group of images, and yet surprisingly clear, especially as we think back to some of those extended versions we've talked about. Clearly, we can live for ourselves doing our own things living like everyone else, or we can faithfully follow. We can look toward God and remain ready and prepared for His coming. Again, we come back to this idea that we talked about a bunch last week of being more aware, ready for the return of the King, for the coming of the kingdom of God. The invitation is to become a people who are faithfully alert for whatever God calls us to be and do. And I think too often we're not. Too often we're not paying attention. Too often we're just kind of going about our day. It's so easy to, to just put life on 
autopilot. It's so easy to become distracted by all our to-dos. It's so easy to become so focused on our own agendas and our own priorities and our own busyness. It's so easy to just be hurrying all the time that we have nothing left to attend to God. I think it's about attitude. I think it's about orientation. Uh, We have to be willing and eager to do what God calls. We have to be looking for, listening to God's voice, God's presence. We have to become a people more alert, not just on Sunday mornings, but the rest of the time. When you're at work, when you're running errands, when you're at youth soccer games, we have to become more alert of what God may be doing in our midst. And yet we live such busy lives. There's no room left over, no margin left over. God could be shouting, and I'm like, hold on, nope, I've got another, I wasn't, just, shh, one more thing first, then I'll come to you. And that's if we hear Him. The trick is that we need to learn how to listen better, more alertness to where He may be calling. Now, He may be calling us in that moment, work harder on your work. Be a better steward in your office. But He also may be calling us to engage with someone in a different way, to live with a different kind of focus, to live with a different kind of peace or patience. You see, the trick of discipleship is in the following. And in order to follow, you have to be paying attention. You have to be alert to where God is leading. You have to be prepared to follow when He calls. You have to be ready and willing to go and move and serve. But this is why following is so hard. You have to be living with your eyes open. You have to be listening for changes. Because if Jesus moves, you have to then respond. This is how we live as disciples. This is how we live out our faith. This is how we learn to follow Jesus better, by trusting Him more, by seeking His kingdom, and by paying attention. Let's pray. Lord God, You know that too often we get a little too caught up in everything else, all the things we have to do and all the places we need to be and all the different hats we have to wear. And yet, Lord, You call us to follow You, to trust You, to seek Your kingdom, to be alert and attentive to You. So we pray that You would help us because we are a distracted people. We pray that you would remind remind us, even this week, at strange times throughout the day, that we could be more attentive to you, that we might have a longer view in mind, that we might learn to trust you better. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are with us through it all. Help us be more alert to your presence. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. 
Amen.